Welcome to the EMS Educator Podcast, powered by Prodigy EMS. Join us for relevant, high-quality discussions around the best practices in EMS education. You'll find interviews with experts in EMS, education, simulation, medical direction, leadership, and more. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of the EMS Educator. I'm Rob Lawrence, and always joining me is my co-host, Hilary Gates. Hi, Rob. We have with us today Peter and Tevi and Tom Boothelay, and we're really excited to talk Refresh and to talk about EMS education. These are two people that need absolutely no introduction, but just the odd chance there's one person that doesn't know who they are, of course. Dr. Peter Antevi is the Medical Director of Davie Fire and Rescue and Coral Springs Fire Department, and also, of course, of Han Tevi. And Tom Boothelay is the freshly retired, and I mean freshly, it's still wet retired, EMS Battalion Chief from Hilton Head Fire Department, retired this week and is now the Program Implementation Manager for RQI Partners. Welcome, both of you. Glad Great to be, to be here. So before we get any further, Hillary, we've had a mailbag already, and this is our first few sessions. And somebody said, hang on a second, Rob, you are from Pro, so what are you doing with Prodigy? Let's address that elephant in the room straight away. And just so you know that Prodigy EMS is actually a subsidiary of Pro EMS, which is based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is where our production studio is. So Pro and Prodigy are effectively in the same stable. And I'm the Director of Strategic Implementation for Pro. And as you know, Hillary is the Director of Educational Strategy for Prodigy. And so therefore, we become a double act. So just to, to get that out of the way, the reason we're here today is to talk about Refresh 2021. And so far, we've enrolled 29,237 people into Refresh 2021. What is it? It's a free online NCCR resource to enable you, the medic on the street, to actually get your recertification, certainly during the pandemic. And as Hillary's going to tell us in a minute, going forward into the next year as well. Refresh started off with a nugget of an idea from our primary guest here for the minute, Tom Boothelay. So Tom, tell us all about where Refresh came from. Sure. So obviously during the pandemic, there was a need to socially distance, which meant that the normal way that we do our national hours for national registry just was going to be impractical because we couldn't just cram a bunch of EMTs and paramedics into a classroom. And so there was a need to figure out how to take advantage of the National Registry's temporary waiver on the limits for distributive education. So we had about 30 hours worth of national content that we normally delivered face-to-face between a combination of admin staff and our field training officers. And we needed to do a heck of a lot of voiceover narration. I was really, really worried about it. I also felt like it could use a reboot honestly, just to spare our staff from having to listen to me for 30 hours, which seemed like a really bad idea. I thought, well, gosh, I'm, I'm going to reach out to my good friend, Peter Antevi, the nicest man in EMS, and ask him if he would do pediatric cardiac arrest. Tim Phelan and Peter Antevi, it's really close, but I would say Peter might even edge out Tim Phelan. So I thought, well, of all the people I could ask that wouldn't be like, are you crazy? Do you know how busy I am? I thought Peter will probably do it. So I called him up. And he said, yeah, that's great, man. I would love to do that. And then we started brainstorming. And the next most difficult topic to make interesting is EMS research. Talk about making eyes glaze over. I've tried to teach that topic before. I can't make it interesting. 
And I thought, well, who could do justice to this topic? And I thought, oh, Dr. Remley Crow could make this really interesting for folks. Then at that point, after like uh, Brian LaCroix said he would do EMS safety culture, I was like attacking it from two sides. Like, what are my favorite topics and what are really difficult topics to make interesting? Those were the two sides of the equation we started to hit. And then after a while, Peter just said, you know what, Tom, this is really great. We ought to make it available to everybody. And so that's how the idea was born. And honestly, because of Peter, it really kind of took off because once Peter threw in with me, he's just very well respected and very well liked. And so it was a lot easier for me to pick up the next instructor, the next instructor. And then when he got Paul Pepe involved and the Eagles kind of unlocked the Eagles positions, and then it became like this really fun all-star lineup. And what really floors me is like if every single person that we asked, there was only one or maybe two out of, you know, 30 instructors that said no. And it was because I'm sorry, my ER is so overrun with COVID. I just can't. Or it was like, hey, I've just had a death in the family. Every other instructor was like, this is a great idea. I'm honored to participate. I'm honored to be chosen. Thank you for contacting me. And I just thought that was so awesome because we were in the midst of this global pandemic. This entire project of Refresh 2021 had this altruistic feel to it from start to finish. It's one of the funnest, most amazing projects I've ever been a part of. And I'm just incredibly grateful for that. And we're proud of you, Tom, for for coming up with this idea. But uh, let's go and talk to the nicest man in EMS, Peter. Take up the story because, of course, you called us to give you a hand. Yeah. So first of all, Tom's giving me way too much credit. Listen, whenever Tom calls, of course, I, I love having conversations with him. And I was in my backyard walking the dogs and we started having this conversation. And part of my problem is that I love new ideas. And really the first thought I had, Tom was saying, we're going to take all these talks and put it into a Dropbox and everyone's going to have access to the Dropbox. And I said, I think I have the perfect person or people for you to talk to since in our experience with Prodigy EMS with our Hentedi course has been so wonderful. And from the moment I met James and the gang at Prodigy, I, I knew from you know, years ago, I was one of the first people that I, I met them at a conference. I said, these people are, are it. So I said, Tom, give James a call and I'll guarantee you he'll say yes, because the only benefit here would be to have all of these courses in a place where people can log in, get their CAPC approved credit and everything's taken care of. So we can just do the job of just educating. And Tom took my advice and he made the phone call and history was made. I'll take credit for being the connector, but that's pretty much it. You guys are being too complimentary, but I appreciate that. So we have to give a shout out to James DiClemente, who's the guy behind the curtain of all of this and, of course, driving the sort of engine room of bringing it all together. But, of course, we must also give some credit to the cat herder in chief. And that, of course, is Dr. Paul Pepe. As Tom told me, and I'm going to tell your story, Tom, of course, when we had a, a subject that we couldn't quite get a handle on, Tom called Paul. Paul picked up the phone. And what did Paul do, Tom? He said, oh, don't, don't worry about it. Hold on one second. And then I heard a phone ringing and it was like, <laughs> hello. It's like, 
Hey, this is Paul Pepe. I just want to let you know we're doing this thing online. It's going to be amazing. You're going to teach this topic. You're going to talk about this. You're going to talk about that. It's going to be about this long. And like, there's this pause. And I, I basically, the way I remember it, I don't know if it exactly went this way, but I feel that it went this way. I think he just said basically, yes, sir. <laughs> so I did something about that just killed me. And then I said, oh, and for my part, hey, I'm Tom Boothley. I'm so sorry to ambush you like this by Paul Pepe. And the guy said, well, he is the godfather. So I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> this 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 guy can like call up almost any EMS physician in the country and just call the shots just like that. I was impressed. What can I say? He, he was the godfather. But I actually, I need to talk to my fairy godmother and say, please grant me the one wish, which is please get Pepe on social media. We need we need to be able to give him all the credit that we're giving him in the kudos, right? I agree 100%. Yeah, he should be on Twitter at minimum. Silence his cell phone. I think he'd still have a flip phone if it weren't for the incessant teasing that Peter and I have given him over the years. But yeah, that might be beyond his beyond his capability. He has too many other things. Let me tell you, since I know Paul very well, I tell you what, he's a little quirky, as, as people know. But what's so magical about him is that, unlike everybody else that I know who prefers texting or emailing, Paul loves the direct communication via phone. As Hillary knows, and as many of you all know, he'll call at any time of the day. When you call him, he always picks up. When he calls you, he wants you to pick up. And he has the ability of keeping in touch with hundreds and hundreds of people at the times when he doesn't need anything because he just loves that camaraderie. He loves EMS. He loves the field. He loves research. When he heard what Tom was doing with Refresh, he just thought so highly of it and he knew how important it was. He's a servant. And so when it came time to serve the people, he went into high gears. For the people who don't know him as well as I do, he is that just type of person. He serves the people. Now, Hillary, there's a reason that we're having this podcast today. And why is that? So the most exciting announcement about the podcast uh, content today has to do with the fact that Prodigy EMS has decided to continue the Refresh platform for free for all of our providers. It'll sunset next year. But the reason that we decided to continue it for free is because the NREMT has announced recently that all of those who are reserting in 2022 do not have to do live credits. And so we can continue this amazing offering that Tom and Peter and Paul put together on Prodigy EMS and offer it to those who are reserting in 2022. Now, Rob, as you mentioned, 30,000 people have taken courses on this platform, and those were the folks who had to research in 2021. So I'm not going to lie, from a business standpoint, we have another 30,000 probably going to come on board for researching in 2022, because those are different folks. And Tom and Peter, you ought to be so proud of yourselves for making this program reach as many people as it has, because... When we look at the list of the instructors and the rock stars of EMS, that, uh, that's what I like to call them, who made this content, they are literally the leaders in their fields. And in no way before has this EMS education ever gotten to folks the way that it's getting to them now. And that'll be the topic of the rest of the podcast as well. Rob, we'll touch on that. What is the future of EMS education? Given that, we're going to be online for a while or maybe forever. Before you go into that, 
Let me just say one thing. Tom, do you remember the discussions we had as this thing rose from 1,000? That was really good. And Peter, too. And now we've got 2,000. And now we've got 5,000. I have done nothing but been blown away by this. Yeah. I mean, I want to tell one story, too, because, like, yes, you're right. That was exciting. And it was awesome to know that people, regardless of where they lived, were going to have access to not just high-quality information, correct information. I mean, there are a lot of really busy training officers in the United States that have day-to-day jobs, and they cannot keep up with cutting edge every single topic. There's a lot of topics, and you can't be an expert in every topic. And so I think what one of the takeaways that I had is like, you know what? National hours should be taught by national experts in their area of expertise, because when you've got the guy that's listed in the bibliography for the outline for the course, then that's the definitive reference. Like, like this is the person that knows the whole backstory of why the guideline is the way it is, for example, and they can just discuss it in such a nuanced way. But what floored me is I got contacted by an ambulance attendant from Baghdad. This guy had been a translator for the U.S. Army during the Iraq War and had kind of been left behind, unfortunately, when the U.S. pulled out. And he, with nothing more than basically a first aid certification, was running around in an ambulance in Baghdad. This guy isn't even an EMT, and he was so hungry for education and information. And he contacted me to let me know how amazed he was by this free resource because he had an internet connection and he was able to be exposed to all this information for free. It had nothing to do with national registry certification, anything like that. Just a guy with an unbelievable, in some ways tragic, but in other ways heroic story that was able to tap into what we did. And that's when I realized, wow, we're reaching a worldwide audience and we're making an impact in ways we don't even understand. You make a good point, Tom. We're actually reaching out to 103 nations have individuals registered. Uh, and by the way, another stat, so far we've delivered just over half a million individual class hours, which means that Peter and Tom, you've actually lectured probably to classes of, I don't know, 30,000, 40,000 people. How does that feel to have an auditorium that big? I want to relay another story exactly about what we're talking about here is many years ago, I was asked to give a talk in, in uh, Baltimore and uh, it was a fire conference and I wanted to get the EMS thing going. I get to the room and there were three people in the room and I'd flown to Baltimore, got to the hotel, sitting in my room and I was so pissed off, you know, and I give this talk on excited delirium or well, what do you know? And ketamine and the whole thing. It was a guy all the way in the back of the room taking notes. And he walks up to me afterwards. He says, hey, doc, love this topic. Do you mind if I write it up? I said, sure. He wrote it up and it literally went viral. And tens of thousands of people read his article, contacted me for the presentation. So this is proof that if you have the right distribution for the right reason, then it could be so much more powerful than just the initial concept. So Kudos to Tom and Prodigy EMS for making this happen. So before we take a break and when Hillary comes back to talk about the future of online education, here's a message from our show sponsor, which is EMS Gives Life. Hello, I'm Christine Victor, the Executive Director of EMS Gives Life. At EMS Gives Life, our mission is simple. We educate the EMS first responder community on how to become a living organ or bone marrow donor and then provide support if you choose to give this gift of life. 
Our organization was inspired by Pro-EMS paramedic Will Lindbergh's selfless decision to anonymously donate a portion of his liver saving the life of a three-year-old boy. We know our community is full of heroes who perform life-saving acts every day. It is this heroism and selflessness that we're counting on. More than 6,000 people die each year on the transplant waiting list. Deceased donors are simply not enough. Living organ donors are desperately needed and our community is up for the challenge. Would you consider being a living donor if you had the support you needed and the assurance that you will go to the top of the list if you ever needed a transplant in the future? Through our partnerships, we can make those promises. If you're curious about living organ or bone marrow donation, let's talk. And if you're already a living donor, we'd love to hear your story. You can find us at emsgiveslife.org. Thank you. That's quite an amazing story, and we fully intend to have Christine on the podcast to talk about EMS Gives Life in the near future. Hillary. We now need to talk with Tom and Peter about what they think the future of EMS education looks like. We have seen in the last two years more creativity and pivoting and ways that we have addressed the inability to be together. And absolutely, there are successes and absolutely there are some challenges and even straight up failures. But one thing I'll say is that more people, according to CAPSI, recertified their EMS license last year than ever before. And I think that that is absolutely attributable to the fact that the education was easier to get, just like Tom's story about the Baghdad first aid guy. And I think one of the things we can be very pleased about is that EMS is seeking out education, but we also need to worry about the quality of that education and whether or not doing things on our screens, on Zoom or online, somehow is detrimental or is missing something in terms of the skills, the hands-on or the scenarios. So we have a medical director and we have a recently retired EMS chief. Tom, what do you see as the challenges that lie ahead for the delivery of EMS education? Well, I mean, I think there are many challenges. I'm most familiar with the challenges having just retired from a fire-based EMS system. I've always said, Hillary, that because I am a supporter of fire-based EMS, I can't afford to be a flatterer of fire-based EMS. It is difficult to do both things well. You're competing with fire suppression. You're competing with urban search and rescue. You're competing with hazmat, public education. A high-functioning fire department tries to do a lot of things, and they do a lot of things really well, but that means our training calendar is very full. And when you take units out of their first due districts to congregate to a classroom somewhere, you're kind of leaving some folks with prolonged response times. So everything you do has a consequence. If you're not going to have an in-service training program that pulls them in monthly off-duty, which has a pretty significant price tag associated with it then you're just basically doing your best within the parameters of your budget and your capabilities and, frankly, within your organizational culture. I think the biggest challenge is making sure that people value EMS education as much as they value their fire apparatus, as much as they value their fire stations. And it's just, it's a big ask sometimes because culturally, if you haven't spent that much money on EMS education, it can seem shocking how much that price tag is to do it correctly, to do it well. And so I would say fix the culture first, because then the decision makers will make the morally courageous choice to spend enough money to make sure that the folks on the street are being educated in a way that is not interrupted 
meaning they're off duty, getting the education, that they're not feeling anxious because they're outside their first due district, and making sure that they value it as much as they value stretching lines into a structure fire or all the other valuable things we do like USAR and HAZMAT, just making sure that EMS is valued as a co-equal thing that we're doing. Because honestly, when we bring those things to bear, we're kind of an unstoppable force. I always say firefighters would dig you a, a ditch from here to China if you ask them to. They just want to know why and they want to be properly trained. And so there's really nothing we can't do. But like historically, there's a cultural problem there. You're absolutely right to bring that up. And those of us who have worked in fire-based EMS know that there's sometimes uh, that hurdle to get over. Peter, as a medical director and someone whose license we're working under and who has to ensure the quality of education for paramedics and for EMTs, how do you do that in this new normal of online education. And feel free, if you can, to speak to what it is that happened in the last year and a half, which is that there were fewer patient touches. There were potentially initial certifications going on for EMTs and paramedics, where normally they would have patient contact and they would have clinical time and they'd be able to start IVs and they'd be able to uh, uh, interview patients and, and actually run calls. But that was set aside for safety reasons. How do you run a program as a medical director and ensure that safety. And this is such an important topic. And, you know, I, I've thought so much this past year about education and how to modify education. And what I've come to the conclusion is that the education that is distributed to all the folks that I work with, in the past, it's been very canned, meaning that these old PowerPoint and these old videos like Tom mentioned earlier, they're completely out of date. And basically, they go in and they just check the boxes. Because in EMS, many of us, and I'm, I'm, I'm one of those who haven't done such a good job with getting the credentialing process into place in my, in my place yet, we have people out there who are, let's say, 10, 15, 20-year paramedics who really have been coasting. We know that they're just checking the boxes, and there's really no way of kind of knowing um, how they're doing. To Tom's point of a fire-based EMS system, the structure of promotion goes through the fire side rather than the EMS side, right? So that's another big problem for me as a medical director. What COVID has done for us and has done for me and what I've learned from Prodigy EMS is that you could have an LMS that allows you to be distributive, meaning I could be somewhere streaming live to the 50 stations in Palm Beach County, if I wanted to, I can engage everybody. They can get the real content right from me. They can have the questions answered. So I think that the future of education, number one for me, is in using platforms now that we have them to actually engage with the information I want to give through. My protocols look so much different than the AHA guidelines. They look so much different than PALS. And so the, the information has to come right from the horse's mouth, which is number one. Secondly, I think that this concept of bringing everybody into a room, into headquarters, I think is incorrect. So now what we've started doing is we now teach a small cadre of instructors, and those are our EMS captains. Think of them as our the, the highest trained EMS 
professionals in our department of Palm Beach County. We bring them in for a two-hour session. We teach them one topic, let's say ventricular tachycardias. We give them all the information, videos, PowerPoints, and then they go back and they do it at the table at the firehouse. And then the third thing is, is that you then have to use the data coming back from your own system to evaluate how they're doing. So the education has to have a loop back with the quality of care that you're providing. You have to have a strong CQI system. And all of a sudden, what the paramedic says is they're giving me great education. They're looking at the data and then they're coming back and they're showing us how that education impacted the results for the patients that we provide service to. And without that feedback loop, they don't care about the education as much because they know that no one's looking on the other end of it. So I think those two things all have to be connected. And then lastly, Hillary, to your point on the paramedic student side of things, it's been very tough because we changed all of our education to simulation. We had, instead of going to the hospital, they came to the fake hospital at the school. On the EMS agency side, we've had to retool knowing that those students who we just hired had very limited kind of face-to-face time at the hospital. So we've had to adjust. But I think that an extra six months of training and making sure that they're getting the right training that we need, I think would be valuable for them. So I have to highlight something, Peter, that you just said. You just talked about outcomes and you talked about making very real for providers the actions that they perform in the field and the clinical knowledge that they have. You are emphasizing making sure that they understand that what they do matters and how it matters and that their clinical acumen and their ability to train properly and get feedback, everyone loves feedback, get feedback from their medical directors, their chiefs, their partners, their crew is extremely important. And I have to highlight because Tom is on the call and we hear him all the time talking about this, that at Hilton Head Fire Rescue, we see that they have made it a system that Sudden cardiac arrest survivors are reunited with their rescuers. They're reunited with the people who saved their lives. And it gives to a paramedic or an EMT or a firefighter a piece of closure and an understanding that what they do matters and that their system and the quality system that Chief Boothelay put in place for his crew has made a difference in outcomes. Tom, can you talk about how that's impacted your providers? Because I think there aren't enough systems in this country doing what you're doing. I think when you're trying to make a change, it's a little bit like a leap of faith. And the origin of the story goes all the way back to 2005 with Bob Davis's series in the USA Today, Six Minutes to Live or Die. That's when we first realized, oh, gee, we we have no idea what our outcomes are here for cardiac arrest. Hmm. Gee, I'm not even sure how many we run a year. I I have no idea how often bystander CPR is performed. I have no idea whether or not our dispatchers are providing CPR instructions. We sure as heck didn't know how often patients were surviving to hospital discharge. And so then it was the miracle on the Hudson that we're like, oh, this is amazing. Captain Sullenberger saved 150 people in a single afternoon. I wonder how long it would take us to save 150 cardiac arrest survivors. And so we did this analogy to the miracle on the Hudson 
and how long it would take us to save 150 people if we didn't make any changes versus if we made robust changes to our chain of survival. And we kind of gave this presentation to our leadership team. And the miracle on the Hudson was so inspiring and so fresh on their mind. They were like, yes, let's do it. And then we were terrified. Oh my God, now we have to take this leap of faith and we have to try and we have to be accountable. So we joined the CARES registry. And the CARES registry is so important because you have to measure your performance. And I think it's a little scary to measure something that you haven't measured before because it might show that you're not doing particularly well. And then what? You've embarrassed yourself. No one was asking the question. And you're not positive. You think you're going to be able to make the change. You think survival is going to go up, but you're not positive. And I've seen enough now between the South Carolina Resuscitation Academy, between the Florida Resuscitation Academy, all the just a high-performance CPR workshop. I mean, sometimes it's within 48 hours. In, in the Florida Resuscitation Academy, I heard back, I think, from Chief Gonzalez from Davy Fire that within like 48 hours of one of the academies that they moved around the state, a 911 telecommunicator recognized sudden cardiac arrest, provided timely CPR instructions, and a law enforcement officer that was also at the academy showed up and defibrillated and saved someone's life. And it was like within two days. And they were both like attributing that success to that mini academy. And so now I do have that confidence. I know that if you make that commitment and take that leap of faith and dare to measure, that you are going to be able to improve. And then you're going to be able to show this beautiful graph to your city council to show how amazing your progress has been over time. And what city leader wouldn't love to see that? Because that's what people want out of government. And so it's just, it's really a wonderful success story. And then when you bring them to the fire station with a pan of brownies to thank the guys, and we've taken it a step further. Last week, we sent somebody up to the 911 center to meet the 911 telecommunicator that talked our cardiac arrest survivor's son through the chest compressions, and she did an absolutely beautiful job. So I have a picture of those two together. When you do stuff like that, that is when it becomes really ingrained into your DNA, and it becomes who and what you are as a department at that point. And, and that gives you that confidence when you go out the door. We know not everyone's savable. You know, someone with end-stage Parkinson's disease at the memory care center that's 88 years old, we probably shouldn't even be working that resuscitation. But for these young folks that have no prodrome and collapse and it's true sudden cardiac arrest, we have a real opportunity to save their life. Our department knows it and they get to see the results. I agree. It's super, super, super important. And not just that, but also the bystanders who aren't medical people who are a little bit traumatized. We need to follow up with them too and give them closure and let them know the outcome. And we need to say thank you. Hillary, I think, uh, Hillary and Rob, I just want to make one comment. What, what you're hearing from Tom here is a commitment to doing the right thing, a commitment to leadership, a commitment to quality. Everything that we're talking about today, Refresh 2021, education, feedback, CQI. I think if you have people who are dedicated to what they do, to the field of EMS, which is, in my opinion, the best field in the world, you can have an impact on hundreds, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Everything Tom says and he exudes is, is leadership that's based on metrics and measurement and actually being there for those people. So that point should not go unnoticed. Great job, Tom. We've got a show coming up 
in July. First Watch has a show called Conversations That Matter with that uh, guru, Mike Tegman, and of course, I'm on as his comedy uh, foil. But this month, it is all about telephone CPR, and we've got some t- the folk from RQI coming on, and I hope you come and join us, Tom. Of course, Peter, you're very welcome, because I think uh, you make some excellent points. And also, you know, one of the most heartwarming things I see, or used to see when I was at, at Richmond, is we would have those cardiac arrest survivor days, and actually, and, I, and Hillary, I've told Hillary this story many times, the biggest bond that forms in the survivor kind of chain isn't the survivor and the crew, it's the call taker and the first delivering CPR person, the first responder, the true first responder. And it's interesting, they seek each other out because for a few minutes or possibly up to eight minutes, there are only three people in the world. There is the body on the floor, there is the call taker, and there is that bystander. And it's remarkable to watch that. And of course, we must encourage that and keep it going. I think that's uh, so so strong words, Tom. And, and again, come and join us for the conversations that matter that's coming up. However, if you all wouldn't mind just taking a moment to rate us on whatever podcast platform you are listening to, so we move up the searchability ladder. And so you can find us easier when you Google us or whatever it is that you do to find us. However, before we go, we mentioned Refresh 2021. We are still here. We are still free. And to log on and to take part in it, you just visit prodigyems.com forward slash Refresh 2021. It's here and free for another six months. But of course, Tom and Peter, you took part in it. But who were the standout classes that you listened to when you took it? I guess the biggest standout for me, not that we didn't have a lot of talent, obviously. And your wife was a presenter, I'll caution you now. She, she, she was, and she did a great job with at-risk populations and things like that. But to me, that I have such a strong interest in high reliability and just culture and crew resource management, that the presentation by Paul Lesage, I thought was so brilliant. Like every word of it had me absolutely enthralled. If I was a Buddhist, it would be like I was listening to the Dalai Lama. Like the whole thing, I was just, I watched it like three, four times. I thought it was just ingenious. Like every moment of it, I thought like this, this is exactly how this topic needs to be taught. So as you can tell, I was just slightly impressed with that presentation. I also really enjoyed Dr. Uh, Joelle D'Onofrio Admin's presentation on pediatric respiratory distress. I found her to be very relatable. I just think it's a often neglected topic that's pretty important. So I'm going to use those two as my top two. Somebody said that uh, this is the best conference I never attended. So Peter, who are your picks? Well, you know, for me, it's people that I love to listen to are people who see the medicine differently than how it's actually been taught to us for many years. Jeff Jarvis is someone who I love listening to because I've learned so much from him and I've are indeed ripped off and duplicated much of what he's done. And it's interesting that just, you know, even until today, people see his data and are probably maybe reticent to change until they understand the power of it. Kudos to Jeff on that. Also, Mark Peel, who has become a good friend because he's also a renegade and trying to help people understand the fluid resuscitation part of the world, which has been taught to us incorrectly for many years based on incorrect data, namely the FEAST trial, which is data from Sub-Saharan Africa that made a change to the U.S. guidelines incorrectly. So you have people like Mark Peel going out, basically almost like 
door to door trying to say to people, listen up, this is important. People's lives are being lost because we're doing it incorrectly. So I loved his presentation. And of course, you know, people like Ken Shepke, but so many, like Tom mentioned, so many people, Jim Ducanto, who, who came on, this really was a who's who. And I think this is the best evergreen content you'll ever get because I don't think this information will ever get stale because the medicine is just not going to change that quickly. So just kudos to everybody who was on this uh, list. It's certainly an amazing global FOMED event, without a doubt. And uh, in addition to the 30 hours of uh, NCCR education for which you get your CAPSI credit for, there's also the extras, uh, not the outtakes, but actually the extras. And I've just got to pick out a couple from there, if I may, of particular favorites. Of course, uh, Joe Zolkin, as we all know, is the original Jay-Z, did a presentation on violence towards EMS providers, which I thought was sobering, compelling, and something that we must all watch first of all. And we've also got to give a shout out to Dr. Will Smith. Remembering we started this when COVID was coming on, where there was a lot of, there still is, I guess, vaccine hesitancy. And again, I think Will Smith's presentation on vaccine is as good now as it ever was. And of course, the taco queen herself, Dr. Remley Crow, converting research into taco. That's got to be a standout as well. And I know that Tom mentioned that earlier on. Again, the way that it's presented is inspiring. Thank you for that. And Hillary, really, do you want to close us out? First of all, the other outstanding thing that just happened is Rob's British pronunciation of taco, which is one of my favorite things about him is almost every time I talk Taco. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we get to hear the British pronunciation, which is probably the right way, frankly, right? I mean, Queen's English it started there. For full disclosure, Hillary, don't forget, for those listening, I'm actually in the United Kingdom right now. So this is truly, I'm at the London office of Prodigy EMS. So, uh, you know, this is an international presentation. Sorry, presentation. So you're off the hook. You're off the hook. (laughs) (laughs) Taco. Sorry, H, go on. (laughs) No, I love it. So so listen, everyone, uh, I, I feel so inspired and educated every time I get to be with people like Tom and Peter and Rob. And I want educators who are listening, leaders who are listening, medical directors, chiefs, and providers to to understand how important it is that we inspire and educate. And that by giving quality education by the leaders in the field, by the rock stars in EMS on the latest evidence-based medicine to the providers and showing them how our new knowledge impacts patients in the field directly, whether it's a sudden cardiac arrest patient or trouble breathing or abdominal pain. And we show them how it matters. And we get out of this cycle of dreading recertification, of dreading online education, of dreading that time when you know you have to put in your hours. And we stop checking the box and we start realizing that we are clinicians. We know what we're doing. We have the most amazing leaders who can tell us what the latest evidence-based medicine is, and we can save lives and make a difference in patient outcomes by educating ourselves properly. And I just have to be the cheerleader at the end of this podcast to make sure that everybody's hearing this message. It's really important to me. Hillary, those are exceptionally wise words. So guys, if we want to get in touch with you, first of all, Tom, how can we do that with your new email address, I guess? I believe it is Tom period Boothillet, B-O-U-T-H-I-L-L-E-T. Gosh, did I spell my name right, guys? At rqipartners.com. Thank you. And Peter? Uh, people can email me directly to my personal email, which is peter at hantevi.com. I'll also answer any Twitter 
message you send me. And you know I'm going to tweet you daily, right? Because that's what we do. <laughs> that's been all from the EMS Educator podcast. I'd like to thank my co-host, Hilary Gates. I've been Rob Lawrence. And remember, the Refresh 2021 is still open, still free. You've got six months to get it in, get your NCCR, and you can achieve that by visiting prodigyems.com forward slash refresh 2021. So from all of us here, we'll see you later. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thank you.